if you're new and you haven't watched us before, my name's Pastor John, and you are listening to our Royal Oak Church sermon. We gather, used to gather every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the plaza in Royal Front Royal, and that is located right next to Rural King. So you, when we open up again, and we will let everybody know, um, you can come join us in person. We'd love to meet you. So here we are, Christmas season, and things are much different for a lot of us, and a lot of us spent Thanksgiving in, in not the way we planned. We, we celebrated probably in a smaller group than we normally have, or, or maybe we couldn't have all the family there, or maybe people just couldn't show up, and, uh, but we celebrated, and we're going to do the same for Christmas, and I, I just want you to be in the moment. It's okay if things aren't perfect. If it's okay if you don't have everything you usually have during Christmas. You have Christ in you, and that is a reason to celebrate. So we're kicking off a series called Beyond Belief. And during this season, I don't know about you, but you're going to hear a common theme. It seems to happen all the time, and, and that theme is the word believe. You hear it in songs. You hear it in stories. You hear it just about everywhere, TV specials, it's all about believing. The definition of believe as a verb is to accept something as true or feel sure of the truth of something. Today we're going to focus on the Christmas story as recorded in the Word of God. The first hint of what would happen and what we would eventually call Christmas was recorded in the book of Job happens to be the oldest book in the Bible. Yes, it's even older than Genesis. Quick background on Job before we get into this is he was put through a major test. He had a lot going on in his life. He had things that most people would never recover from happen to him and his family. But through all of that, he had every confidence that God would restore him. So with that background, let's take a look at one of the dark days that he had, and it's found in Job 16, 19 through 21, and it reads, Even now my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. My intercessor, intercessor is my friend, as my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for his friend. So Job seems to indicate that there is an intercessor in heaven pleading on his behalf. And those of us that know Jesus, that is who he is. But perhaps the clearest indication that there will be a Messiah comes from the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating something they were specifically told not to do, they had to endure God coming to them and scolding them. And that was kind of a minimal way to put that. But God also recognized the one who actually put that idea into their heads. And that was what he called the serpent, or Satan, or the devil, or however you want to name him. So God went to him, and this is what he said to our enemy. He said this in Genesis 3.15, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So this was not a, well, if you do this again, I'm really going to punish you. God's like, this is going to happen to you, Satan. This is going to be what's going to happen to you. So God is saying to Satan that he is sending someone 
that will strike his head. Basically meaning he will be destroyed. He also says that Satan will fight back, but won't be able to defeat him. So we see that God had a savior in mind from us, from the, for us from the very beginning. But why do we need a savior? You know, that's a great question because if we are truly going to celebrate Christmas, the birth of our savior, we have to understand first why we actually need a savior. Otherwise, what's the point in celebrating Jesus Christ? I'll make this short and sweet. God created us in his image. He gave us free will. Nothing else on planet Earth has free will except for us humans. We have free will so that we can freely worship our God. But because of our free will, we can also do things that God doesn't like, and we call those things sin. Since God can't bend his rules because God is perfect, we can never be fully restored to him after we sin unless we atone for that. And the atonement would come from blood. And Jesus came to be the single blood offering for all. This is why we're here to celebrate Christmas. Otherwise, it would be moot. There'd be no reason to celebrate. We celebrate because Jesus came to earth to save all of us. So how do we get this gift of salvation through Jesus? You know, we're taught to say a prayer and to confess our sins and to confess that Jesus is God's son and that we actually believe God first and that Jesus came to earth. He died for our sins and then he rose again. And because of all of that, if we believe, if we believe in him, then we are also redeemed of our sins. And yes, we should definitely do all of that. But I would say this is definitely not all of it. Jesus had been explaining to his disciples that you'll truly know someone, not by what they say, but by what they do. And right after he told them that, he says this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. So Jesus is telling us that knowing God and knowing him goes beyond believing. Today, let's look at a few characters that show us what true belief is. We're going to be talking about the Magi, or the Wise Men, or the Three Kings of Orient, however you want to call them. We don't actually know that there were three. We don't know how many were there during this time when Jesus was born. Oh, and by the way, they weren't there when Jesus was born. So all your manger scenes are lies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's true that they were there, but he came much, they came much later after Jesus was born. So who were these wise guys? Well, they were seekers. They looked and researched prophecy from before their time, and they were astronomers and of sorts, and, and generally speaking, they were, you know, scientists, really. They were on the cutting edge of science back in their day, and they studied, and they loved to research. That's what they were all about. They were not God's chosen. God's chosen were currently living in Israel and suffering under oppression from the Roman Empire and from their own Jewish people. These wise men had been studying a prophecy from an old parchment, which we know today as the book of Numbers. And in Numbers 24, 17, here's what that prophecy says. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge 
from Israel, I will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. Now it made sense that this prophecy would kind of lure them in a little bit because it was something that was a few hundred years earlier and that prophecy says there's going to be some kind of physical indicator that this is going down. And that physical indicator was the star. And because they were astronomers, you know, that was just a bonus for them. So when they finally discovered the star, the star, they started to take the prophecy even more serious. They actually saw and they witnessed with their own eyes what was transpiring and what came from the text that they read. And here's where it gets interesting. They started thinking that maybe they should actually go and see. That makes sense if they're, they're committed to this now. You know, they, they saw the star, it lines up with the prophecy, it's right in the right place in the sky. Let's go, let's go check this out. It makes me wonder how long they were looking before they first saw the star. You know, they just didn't stumble upon this. They have been looking for this for a while. And they started to believe that there was actually some credibility to this prophecy now. So the wise men were compelled to travel to see if they would find a Messiah. So they traveled and they made a pit stop to see King Herod in Jerusalem. And here's what we read from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people. King Herod asked them to stop by after they went to find this Messiah. He told them that once they found him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too. The wise men left and they eventually saw Jesus. They brought him gifts, expensive gifts, and probably just experienced the most profound discovery of their lives. They never went back to Jerusalem because the Bible tells us that they had been warned in a dream not to go back that way. As I wrap this up today, I always love the story of the Magi. For me, it's, it's always been interesting, and I've studied it a couple times, and as I study it, studied it this year, I, you know, something really struck me. There is nothing recorded in Scripture that tells us that any of the Jewish leaders went to Bethlehem to see Jesus, the Messiah prophesied one. I find that very odd. Why? Because the Jewish leaders literally memorized all of these prophecies, the same ones that the Magi were taking action on. They knew. They all knew. And yet they never went. Herod himself was a practicing Jew. Maybe more for political reasons, but he also knew. So let me read a part of that scripture I just read a moment ago. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, heard about the Messiah being born or indications that he was being born. He was 
disturbed, just as everyone else in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? He's disturbed. The Jews were disturbed. That doesn't make any sense to me. They were promised a Messiah. They knew the prophecy. And the prophecy and, and, the, and the star all indicated that this was the time. It's important to point out that Jewish people during this time were desperate for their Messiah to come. They were under oppression from the Roman Empire. They were suffering and they were waiting and they were hoping for the Messiah to come. The people knew the prophecies were true and they believed the prophets were true. The Jewish leaders knew the prophecies were true and they believed the prophecies were true. So when wise men came into the town and say they have some actual physical evidence to back up these prophecies and it's going down now, then why was that the reaction that they had? By the way, if the wise men had no credibility, I mean, Herod could have just discounted what they said and just said, oh, they're not credible. But if they had no credibility, most of this would be moved. But in fact, their story caused this reaction with Herod and, pe and the people of Jerusalem that means to, tells me that they were on to something. Otherwise, they would have said, no, you're, you guys are wrong. Go on your way. All of that is just strange to me. But that's not the strangest thing. To me, the strangest thing is nobody in Jerusalem made the journey to Bethlehem. Nobody but the Magi. And that was after the shepherds were there already. They were close by. After that, of course, the Magi came. That's all we know. I would assume there'd be a lot more written about it if there was anybody else there. You could say, well, maybe it was too far. You know, that's, you know, taking a trip back then was a lot different than it is today. There's no Uber camels. There's no GPS. There's no maps. I mean, it's difficult to travel. So maybe it was just not worth taking the risk. And maybe they were just going to wait for the Messiah to, you know, have his parents bring him into Jerusalem so they could all meet him. You can almost make that argument, but look at this. The distance from where the Magi came varies between 400 to 600 miles away from Bethlehem. Some say it's even bigger than that. Some say up to 900 miles away. That is an incredible journey back in those times. You're talking months of travel. So you can say, okay, well, how far did they'd have to go if they were in Jerusalem to see Jesus? Well, that's a fair question. And here's the answer. The temple in Jerusalem, where you would find most of the Jewish leaders, was just under six miles. Doesn't that, isn't that weird? Doesn't that seem strange to you? That God's chosen people were that close and never went to see what was prophesied. Listen to me, the Jews believed in the prophecy which was pretty precise on location and time. Yet they didn't make the short journey to Bethlehem. Remember what Jesus told his disciples. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. We must go beyond belief if we want to know and follow the will of our Father. We get so caught up in reading and studying and gaining knowledge that we sometimes forget to just seek him.
we get into a mode of, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to accept you. I, I can't wait to see the, all the things that are going to happen because I've made this decision in my life to follow you. I can't wait. And then we sit and we do wait for things to play out. That's not how it works. Or maybe there's all the evidence to a promise, but we refuse to believe it because that's not how we think it's supposed to happen. I believe that's, where the, that's the mindset of the Jewish people during that time. Their leaders, their, their mindset was, you know, our Savior, born in a smelly, dusty barn in a town six miles from us that nobody cares about. That's not where our Messiah should be coming from. If that's our Messiah, he's going to be born in Jerusalem, and we're going to give him all the pomp and circumstance that he deserves because he's our king. See, it didn't match up in their mind. This miracle didn't match up what they had fantasized in their head. I'll end with this. Belief is great. Believing in something is great. But belief should be a catalyst to action to seeking and to finding. Ironically, the only ones who were actually seeking the signs that were recorded in the prophecy were scientists and astronomers who had no lineage to David and they were not God's chosen. I do find it fitting that God moved them to action. After all, his son came for the world, for everyone. So let me challenge you with this. If you say, yes, I believe, then I ask you, do you seek what you believe or have you stopped looking for signs? This is a message for me as well because sometimes we get complacent and, and we know scripture and we read about all these prophecies and all these things that God has promised. And yet sometimes we doubt when, when there's you know evidence of it because maybe it's not the evidence that we thought about in our head. And that's, that's what they missed here. So listen, thank you watching today. I pray for you as you go through this Christmas season. I ask you that you truly do check yourself, check your heart to make sure that you haven't stopped seeking. And seeking doesn't mean just reading. It means actually going. There's an action here. And God wants to see us take action on some of these things. He wants to see us move. So I pray that that happens for you this season. And I pray as we close, I want to pray also for our tithe and offering and for those who are sick. We have some people in our church that are not doing very well and, and friends of ours that, that are struggling, and I know you know other people, so we're going to close there. But again, thank you for joining us, and I look forward to um, virtually meeting you again next week. So if you would, let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Father, that we are here even though virtually, Lord, we are still connected. We are still yours. And Lord, we pray right now for the situation that's going on across the world with this COVID virus. And Father, and it's even found its way, it's found its way in every corner of the earth. And Lord, right now I pray for those who are struggling because of it. I pray for those who have lost loved ones because of it. I pray for those who are sick right now in the hospital or sick right now in their homes, Father. And and just wondering what's going to happen next. Father, you are the great healer. Father, I know, Father, that you can heal. So I pray that you just touch these people today. And Lord, I pray for those who have gone in and, and gotten some diagnoses that weren't expected, Father, that you 
just comfort them and I pray that as they go for further tests they realize that it's wrong and it's not there nothing's there father I just pray that in Jesus name and father I thank you for blessing our church father with with so many who are willing to give father and I pray over the tithes and offerings that are received Lord that you just take it multiply it and bless our community with it and father we just ask again as we en enter this Chris, Chris, Christmas season father that you just use us to show love to our neighbor and to our community. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.